How are we doing? Lots of exciting stuff. I'm excited about next week. If you are not connected to a kingdom community, would love to get you connected to that. There's so many amazing uh, smaller groups that are happening inside the church. Lots of great ways to connect with people, to hang out. We do need your help. Uh, I said last week, I'm going to continue to say it over the coming weeks. If you have kids that are downstairs in childcare, we need you to volunteer once a month. We need your help. Uh, we are overwhelmed with the number of kids that are down there. Pretty soon, there's going to be more children down there than there are up here. So we need you to stop having babies or invite more adults, uh, one of the two, uh, because there are just so many. So uh, if you can help at all and, and can give up one Sunday a month to go help downstairs, uh, would love for you to join in the meeting today. Even if you can't stay for lunch, just go over there and say to them, I can't stay for lunch, but I want to help out. Here's my phone number and let them call you because we need tons of help. And I don't know if you saw that picture. Can we get the picture of the Grace Summit up again? Uh, it, the Grace Summit is next Saturday. Uh, apparently with the graphics, it's in the beautiful beaches of Monroe, Georgia. Uh, there it is. If you want a beach excursion, uh, we'll be in Monroe next Saturday. Uh, it's going to be delightful. Uh, I, I didn't know they had the ocean there, but I, I'm really excited uh, about that. So uh, next Saturday, if you have been a part of Grace for a long time, you know that we are a part of a family of churches. There are a bunch of different churches all over the country, and we gather together with all the leaders from the churches to kind of worship, celebrate, all of those things. And uh, it's a great way to kind of figure out who we are and what we do and to understand, like, this is one of the things that's so exciting about Grace is this is happening in a bunch of different rooms all over the country. And we are much bigger than what just happens here in Marietta. And so there's lots of great things happening. So if you want to learn more about the family, it's a great way to be a part of that, to hang out. Uh, I'll be there. Our staff will be there. It'll be a really fun day next Saturday. At the beginning of every new year, we do a series called Awaken or Awakenings or something about waking up is what we do. Uh, and this year, we're going to do the same thing. And what we do at the beginning of every year is we go back to our vision, we go back to our core values, and we just kind of remind each other of this is who we are, this is where we're going, this is what we're getting after this year, and let's do this together is kind of the vision of this. And I know at the new year, there's like resolution folks, right? You've got your new year's resolution. How many of you have a resolution of some sort this year? I feel like resolutions are losing their steam. I feel like 10 years ago, my, my mom and dad loved revolution, resolutions and revolution. <laughs> And evolution and all of those things. Like that. Uh, but I, I feel like resolutions were like a big thing. And, and uh, how many of you pick a word for the year? You have like, this is my prophetic word for the year. Some of you. Uh, good, good. Uh, apparently, most of us do nothing at the new year. Raise your hand. All right. Well, have I got a series for you? Uh, <laughs> Uh, most of us just apparently we just go through, but, but at the new year, there is like a turning of the page. There's like the past is, is over and we're stepping into something new and January kind of reorients us and we have this kind of Christmas break where we take some days off and then we kind of hit the, hit the workplace and get after it. And, and so we want to talk about vision and, and I really believe this. I, I really believe if you can't see it, it's really hard to believe it. And so if I can't have vision, for who we are and where we're going and what we want to do, it's really easy for us to lose track of why are we here? 
Like, why do we get together on Sundays? Why do I show up and give an hour and a half of my time every week? Why should I help with the kids? Why should I be a part of the church life? Why should I give generously? Why should all of these things happen? And if we can't see it and have a picture of it, it's, it's really hard to believe it. And many of us, we have vision, but we have vision for all the wrong things in our life. Like, how many of you have a vacation planned this year? You got a vacation plan. Maybe it's to the beautiful beaches of Monroe. <laughs> Who knows where it is, but you've got some you've got a vision for down the road, you're going to go and you're going to drive somewhere. You're going to go to the beach, you're going to go to the mountains, you're going to go somewhere and you're going to hang out and you're going to rest and you're going to eat good food and you're going to get some time downtime and you're going to have amazing time and you've planned it out and you've budgeted for it and you've put it on your calendar and everything is structured so that you can have 7 to 14 days away right and i i don't know about you i'm excited about that i got a couple beach days i'm a beach guy not a mountain guy uh, I've got a couple beach days on on the horizon and i'm excited about that um some of you today Guys, in the room, you have a vision for which playoff game you're going to watch, where you're going to watch it, and what beverage you will have in your hand as that game is on. Are you with me? Some of you are like, all day, lots of beverages. I'm watching all the games, right? Uh, I'm, I'm from Ohio. I'm a Bengals fan. I'm ready for that game today. I have designed my day around that. I'm going to be in my home, in my chair, with that game on, with some friends. It's going to be great. Let's hope that we can at least beat the Ravens. Uh, but that's what I'm doing today. I've got a vision. I have structured my day around a football game. Some of you have a vision for what outfit you're going to wear on your birthday. It's probably the girls, ladies, probably you more than the fellas, but some of you are like, my birthday's coming up, and I have this outfit, and I'm going to go out, and I'm going to wear this, and this is what's going to happen. And you have been planning, you have been thinking, you have been preparing, you have been online shopping, you have budgeted for it, you're ready for it, and you are set to do that, and it's going to be great. Uh, some of you right now are like, this is, how long is this going to go? Because I have a vision for where I'm going to eat lunch. <laughs> right? you, you have a plan. Like, as soon as this guy stops talking, I am going to go and I'm going to eat good food with good friends. And here's where we're going to go. We, we have vision for all kinds of different things in our life. We plan, we prepare, we structure our lives, we budget, we, we, sit, we set up our lives to prepare for all of these different things. I'm just concerned that sometimes we have vision for the wrong things. And as important as all those things I just named were, I wonder how many of us actually have a vision for how we're going to spiritually grow this year. I wonder how many of us actually have a vision for how we're going to disciple our children this year. I wonder how many of us actually have a vision for how we're going to improve our marriages this year. I wonder how many of us have actually prepared and planned for how we're going to share our faith this year and how we're going to expand God's kingdom this year. I wonder how many of us have a plan or a vision for how we're going to take our, our, our spiritual life into our professional life. And we're not going to live this incremental, separated life, but we're going to live an intentional life where our faith and our life and our work and our church and our family all interact and all intersect together in a really beautiful way where everything belongs. Proverbs 29 verse 18 says this, where there is no vision, the people what? Every time I teach this verse, I say that is a strong word. The people perish 
Like every time I read that, I wish the writers of the Psalms would have said, where there is not vision, things get a little messy. Where there is not vision, it's a little bit unorganized. Where there is not vision, it's a little confusing. People perish. Like there's, there's two kind of ways we use the word perish. The first is like death, right? And usually not a good death. It feels like a bad death is a perishing death, right? You, 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 they perish. The other is like, like food that is rotten or destroyed or decayed. This is strong, strong language. Where there is no vision, the people perish because if we can't see it, we can't believe it. We don't know where we're going. We don't know where we're headed. We don't know what's next. And so we don't have a vision for it. So we just wander and we have vision for all the wrong things, but not for the right things. In the message, uh, Eugene Peterson said this. He said, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. Dr. Eugene is good right there. If people can't see what is what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves, but when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. And so our hope is that we have a vision this year. We have a vision for who you're going to be as an individual, for what your family is going to do. But we also have a vision for what we're going to do corporately here at the church. Because listen, guys, our vision is not to have Sunday services, That is not the vision of the church. The vision is that we have Sunday services so that we can equip you and disciple you and send you into the world so that our our reach becomes further than our grasp, so that we're reaching beyond what's happening in here, and so that every single one of you is equipped to follow your calling and to follow where God is leading in your everyday life. That's when the church begins to make an impact in culture, not when we have more people sitting in the service, but when we have more people going out into the world. And that is our vision. And sometimes what happens is we confuse the vehicle with the vision. We think the vehicle is the vision, and so we think the vision for the church is church attendance. What's your vision for your church life this year? My vision is that I'm going to come 1.7 times a month to church when the weather is just right, because if it rains, our attendance goes down every time. It's a very Georgia thing, (laughs) y'all. If it rains, we have less people here every time. If it's not rainy out, and if I didn't stay up too late on Saturday night, and if nobody invited me to brunch, my vision is I will be at church 1.7 times a month if you average it out. This is the vehicle. It's not the vision. That, that, that kind of logic would be like, I, I, I planned a vacation for my kids, and I gather my kids together, and the kids are like, where are we going? And I'm like, guys, it's going to be awesome. Here's where we're going. Kia Sedona. We're going to sit in it. And we're going to drive for hours. That's not, that's the vehicle, not the vision. The vision is the beach. The vision is the ocean. We got to get in the vehicle to get us to the beach. Right? But what happens oftentimes is we confuse the vision with the vehicle. And so we think that the vision of my spiritual life is that I show up just a couple times a month and I sit and listen to some guy talk and I sing a couple songs and I raise my hand. And God's plans for us are so much greater than that, guys. 
His vision for us is that I am the church, not that I go to church. His vision for us is not just that I do the stuff. It's, and, and, and when we talk about our vision, it's not this cute business plan that the staff wants to execute. That's a consumer mentality. The vision for the church. I'm not sharing with you the staff's vision for how the church grows. Are you with me? I am sharing with you our vision for how we multiply the church and expand God's kingdom. And this is what's happening in the American church. There are too many churches that are committed to consumerism over multiplication. And so when we are committed to consumerism over multiplication, it's the staff's job to come up with the vision. It's the staff's job to execute the vision. We pay them by our tithes, and they do the work, and I show up, and I consume what they give, and we get no progress, and we wonder why we're not getting any breakthrough. Because we've got five people that are absolutely exhausted and 200 who are sitting on their rears, literally. This is God's vision for the church. It's that all of us pursue what God has called all of us to do. And so our mission, our vision is really simple. It's this. It's we want to awaken each other to live kingdom dreams in a world that's fast asleep. Very, very simple. Awaken each other to live kingdom dreams in a world that's fast asleep. And I want to walk through that just word by word to help us. The first word there is awaken. Uh, Awaken means we want every single person in this room and every single person in our community to experience the fullness of God in their life. We want to become awake to the goodness of God, to the glory of God, to the plans for God. We believe that life with God is better than any other life. And we believe that God is inviting us into an incredible adventure, but we're asleep. And so we want to awaken each other. We don't want to just awaken each other to, uh, to God's plans and his vision, his heart. We want to awaken, some of us, we need to awaken to salvation. That's the greatest awakening that we can experience, is that God wants all of me, is that God wants me. He wants my heart. He wants me to, to repent of my sins and my brokenness, and he wants me to give my full surrender to him, and, and that's the first awakening that we walk through. We awaken to salvation. We awaken to realizing God is a better arbitrator of right or wrong than I am, and I can't figure this out on my own, and so I need to surrender my ways to his ways. That's called salvation. But we also, we, we surrender the future of our lives, and we awaken to God's plan for us. Right? God's plan for us is not just you go to church, you get saved, and then you sit in church for the rest of your life. His plan for us is that you come to church, you get saved, and then you surrender everything to him, and you live the adventure of the life that he's called you to. So we awaken not just to salvation, we awaken to discipleship. We awaken to what he's calling us to in our everyday life. We wake up to the reality that God is always present and at work, that he's always moving and working, and that every moment of my life is holy, it's set apart, and God wants to use me in my everyday life over and over and over again. The second phrase is each other. We don't want to just do this in a vacuum. We don't want to create a culture of individuality where we're just all doing our own thing. We want to do this together. We believe that the, that, that the body of Christ is one of the most powerful things in the world, but we're too often just trying to run on our own, so we're just the eyes, or we're just the nose, or we're just the mouth, or we're just the hands, but when we're all together pursuing what God has called us to, there is enormous capacity for breakthrough. 
Can you imagine if every single one of us in this room became fully alive to God's calling to our life and were 100% obedient to what he had asked us to do? Can you imagine the breakthrough that would happen in Cobb County? That's the vision. We don't just awaken ourselves individually. We want to awaken each other. We want to encourage each other. I want to come alongside of you, and I want to see the God dream that's in your heart, and I want to say, go get it. I want to come alongside of you and see the God vision for your life and say, go chase it. Go pursue it. Get after the thing that God has called you to, and I want to encourage you to run after it. Because when I don't have faith, I need to borrow faith from somebody else. When I feel like, oh, this, I can't do this, I can't accomplish this on my own, there's too much, it's too hard, it's too difficult, I have to have people in my corner that are saying, no, 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 I believe in you. I believe in the vision that God's given you, I believe in the gifts that God has given you, I believe in the passion that God has given you, and I believe that you can pursue that, but that only happens when we do this with each other. Then it says to live, live. Notice it doesn't say to think about it or to talk about it, or to pray about it, or to listen to somebody else talk about it. It says to live. We want to live out our kingdom dreams. We want to live out our kingdom dreams in our everyday life. We want to live out the God calling in our life every day, and we want to make sure that this is a part of our everyday life. It's not just something we talk about, think about, pray about, sit in here, sing about. It's something that we go and we do and we live it. You know what your discipleship curriculum is? It's not the next book that so-and-so wrote. It's not the next video series that your favorite pastor did. It's not the going through Leviticus or whatever it is that you do. Your greatest discipleship project is your life. Your curriculum for discipleship is your office. It's the annoying guy that's your neighbor. It's the friend down the street who doesn't know Jesus and you want to be kind to him. Every single day we get to live out our kingdom calling over and over and over again. We want to live it out and we want to live our kingdom dreams. We define a kingdom dream is the good work that God uniquely created you and uniquely called you to do. That's a kingdom dream. That's what we believe a kingdom dream is. It is the good work that you are uniquely created to and uniquely called to to do. Let's talk about that for just a second. Let's stay there for a minute. And we might bounce around on slides. I apologize, guys. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Can we get that verse up there? It says this. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which were prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. So one of the objections, we get a couple objections to our, our vision statement. One, people say, your vision statement is unique. This is not, I don't hear other churches saying this. Good. Can you imagine if all of us had the exact same vision for our life? We wouldn't be as effective. Just as every single individual should have a different vision and a different uh, a perspective and a different kind of this is where we're headed, every church should as well. Every church should not have just a cookie cutter vision statement that says we're going to worship, we're going to pray, we're going to do good things, we're going to, I don't know, whatever the things are. It has to be bigger and broader than that because God has called each church to unique tasks. And this is the unique task that we believe that God has called us to. We are his workmanship. We were created by Christ Jesus for good works. That good works word is ergon. It means occupation. 
occupation. So we're not just talking about God has called me to do a good thing. Like I'm going to help my neighbor. I'm going to bake some cookies. I'm going to knit something. I don't, I don't know if people do a lot of knitting these days. I'm going to do something. Uh, it's bigger than that. It's a kingdom occupation. So listen, let's go back to that verse for just a second. There is a kingdom calling. You were created for a kingdom occupation which God has prepared beforehand. So the first objection we hear is like, this is not, this is kind of different. Not all churches talk this way. Good. The second objection I hear is, I don't have a kingdom dream. Well, the Bible says differently. I'm not a dreamer, Ben. I don't have a vision for my life. I don't have a kingdom calling. I don't have a kingdom occupation. We, we as All of us, are you with me? We is we, it's all of us, are created. We are his workmanship for good works which have been prepared for us in advance. It doesn't say we except for the people that don't dream really big. It doesn't say we except for the people who don't have vision for their life. It doesn't say we, I mean only the entrepreneurs and really big dreamers around us. It says we, all of us, all of us were created by God, which means God deposited in you something that he wants to get out of you. From the moment of your creation, we got a bunch of pregnant people in the room. Right now, God is depositing in your child good works, good things that he's preparing for them to do in advance as they are created. When God thought of us before we were ever created or made, there was a plan and a vision. I'm going to put this in this person so that they can live this kingdom occupation and so they can live out their kingdom calling in their everyday life. And then finally, if we back all the way back up to that vision statement again, the last part says, in a world that's fast asleep. In a world that's fast asleep. I don't know if there's a better phrase to describe Marietta, Georgia than that. Everybody is moving fast. We are running from place to place. We drive into the city. We fight the traffic. We get home. We're exhausted. We drive into the city, we fight the traffic, we get home, and we're exhausted. Everyone is moving fast, but are we really alive? And I want our community to come to life. I want us to come to life. I want us to be living more than just clocking in and doing our nine to five thing and feeling like tomorrow's gonna be the same as today and yesterday's, it's just gonna be the same thing over and over and over again. I want us to have a vision that says there's something greater. We're busy, but we're not alive. Habakkuk 2 says this. It says, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so so he may run who reads it. I love that, right? Write the vision. Make it plain so that when we read it, we don't just, yeah, that's the thing. We run after it. We chase after it. We pursue it. For still, the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. For it will surely come, and it will not delay. This is the vision, is that we keep chasing after the things that God has called us to. We keep pursuing the things that God has invited us to. And listen, maybe in the future, 10 years, 5 years, 20 years, 25 years, there's going to be some guy who shows up at this place who's younger than me and who's got energy and who's excited and he's going to take over and he'll change the vision and he'll make it his and he'll deconstruct everything that I've built here over the last whatever years. This is just how the church works and you guys are going to support him and love him and encourage him and walk beside him. And, but until then, we're chasing after this. 
We're not changing the vision every year. We're not reconstructing it or coming up with a new plan every year. We're not gonna come up next year and say, ah, we scrapped that vision. We're going after a new one this year. This is where we're going. This is where we're headed. And we're thrilled and excited about this because the strategy of the church has been this. Help me build my dream. I have a dream. I'm the pastor. I have a dream. And you know what the most pastor's dream is? I'm going to build a big church with lots of different people, and we're going to grow it, and we're going to have lots of different services, and we're going to have lots of different things that we're going to offer to the world, and we're going to disciple people, and we're going to lead. We want to flip the script on that, and we want to say, you have a dream. You have a vision. There is a good work that has been prepared for you in advance, and we want to help you discern it. We want to help you to know it. We want to help you to understand it. We want to help you to live into it, and we want to help you to become alive to the thing that God has called you to live into. We wonder why we're bored. We wonder why we're feeling like we're just going through the motions. It's because we're not living for the one thing that we were actually created to live for. And we want to help you come alive in that journey. There's lots of different ways that we do that. But we believe the church, in its best, in its essence, becomes a dream factory. The the church has not been known for innovation. Are you with me on that? Right? I am still standing here and talking for 30 minutes. Right? That alone is like, we don't do that anymore. We've got 10-second sound bites. We got YouTube videos, we got laser lights, we got all these different things. And, and we could try and bring the drummer from the balcony on like uh, some kind of thing. I saw a church doing that recently. We, we could try and like put flashing Jesus signs and float Jesus in from the ceiling. Like we could try all of those things. Churches are trying those things, guys. Are you with me? Some that are close to us are trying those things, right? <laughs> We're not going to try and compete with the world. We're going to try and awaken each other to live kingdom dreams in a world that's fast asleep. We're not going to try and do the smoke and lights and big show and big production. We're going to gather in here. We're going to worship. We're going to open the Bible. And we're going to say, what is God saying to us and what are we doing? The greatest challenge for the American church is lack of imagination. But the imagination is not lacking in how we perform services and how we provide goods and services to the people who come to our church. The imagination is lacking for how do we awaken our people to live out their faith in their everyday life. And we are doubling down. We are tripling down. We are putting all the resources we have into saying our vision is to help you accomplish your vision. So if you've got a kingdom dream, something that's in your heart that you're like, I know I should be pursuing this. I know I should be going after this. I know God's called me to this, but I'm just not living into it. We want to help walk with you. We want to co-discern. We want to walk with you through that process. If you have no idea, if you're reading that Ephesians 2 verse, you're like, oh, God skipped me. He He gave a kingdom occupation to everybody else, but he skipped me. I don't know what mine is. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. We want to help you discern what that is, and we do that in a lot of different ways that we're gonna be offering over the coming weeks. So listen, all of that is, is kind of the, the, the what. I, I, I wanna spend a minute and I wanna talk about the how. I, I wanna talk about how we live this out. Um, because we've talked about this is what we're doing, but, but there is a part of that that's like, okay, even if this is what we're doing, then how are we going to do that, and what does that look like? And I wanna talk a little bit about unity and honor in the church. Uh, We live in a world right now 
that is not doing a great job with honoring one another, disagreeing with each other, caring for one another. Uh, Martin Lord Jones said this, he said, the glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. And my concern is that over the past few years, I don't know that the church has modeled a different way of how we disagree. There's a lot of different things that go into this, but I think there's two real challenges in the concept of unity and honor. And, and, and part of it is that our culture has lost the ability to, one, disagree respectfully, and two, honor those with differences. We've lost our ability to do it. And, and I can zero in on two specific ways that that's happened. I, I think one is the current political climate in our culture. Uh, I'll just be honest with you guys. As your pastor, I am terrified of the next presidential election. <laughs> terrified of it. Because the last one was awful. We treated each other poorly. I got crazy emails all the time. People could not separate the difference between what's in the Bible and what's in their political party. People were more discipled by Republican than Democrat than they are by Jesus, and they get angry with me because whatever I say kind of is taken as a talking point for one party or the other. And so our church, our, our staff took abuse from people. We were called all kinds of names. There was nastiness that was present all around us. There was just a sense of grossness around us. Uh, and I can't speak to all of your experiences. I'm guessing all of you experience some sort of political division in your life in some way, especially if you're on social media in any way. Uh, but I can speak to my, my experience. Uh, on a Sunday here at the church, the same Sunday, I preached a sermon. Person number one came up to me and said, you just preached a sermon on justice, so I'm leaving the church. I said, well, justice is mentioned 328 times in the Bible. I preached a sermon on what's in the Bible. And they said, well, justice is a liberal thing, and you are a liberal, and so I'm leaving the church. Um, and, and last week, you even talked about race. How dare you talk about race? And I said, well, kind of one of the central points of the New Testament is about race. If you read the New Testament, there's this phrase that's repeated over and over again that says this, Jew or Gentile. You know what that's about? Race. It's a central part of the Bible. I cannot teach the Bible without talking about race. I cannot teach the Bible without talking about justice. And frankly, I don't really care what this politician or what this politician is saying. I care what this says and what Jesus says, and I'm going to continue to talk about that. And so listen, that person angrily called me a name, walked out the door. I never saw them again. Second person on the same Sunday came up to me and said, hey, you talked about justice today, but you didn't talk about this justice issue in the way that I wanted you to talk about this justice issue. You're a conservative. I saw a Trump sticker in the parking lot on a car. How dare you guys? How dare you do this? I can't stay here. You didn't talk. About and I said, well, the problem is the Bible doesn't talk about that justice issue the way that you're talking about it. And so I, 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 I'm sympathetic that you want us to talk about justice, but I'm also understanding that I'm going to talk about justice through the lens of what God says and what Scripture says, not through the lens of what culture says and what the world says. And that person called me a name and left and never came back. On the same Sunday, guys. 
we, we need to acknowledge right now that the highest office in the land over the last while, let's just say that, has not modeled how we disagree respectfully and how we honor those with different views. The second challenge that we have is uh, we've, we've learned to value the keyboard more than the table. And I just want to say that the table is greater than the keyboard. Uh, when social media, when my kids first started getting onto social media, we sat down with them and we had this conversation that was like, hey, let's look at the comments section. Because if you want to know what hell is like, look at the comments section. <laughs> right? That's all you have to do. If you want to know, it, it can be anything. Like, you, it just, you just go to the comments section and you just see. Uh, I, and I sat down with my kids and I said, listen, if you're going to be on social media, I need you to understand this. Everything that you type is the same as everything that you say. And if you would not say that to someone's face, you don't type it. If it makes you cringe reading what you've typed, don't type it. Don't do it. And so what's happened is we've started to value the keyboard more than the table. We want these little quick sound bites. We want to get the last word in. We want to win the argument. We've got all of these politicians and leaders who are modeling a way that is different from the way of Jesus, and we've fallen into those same mistakes, and so we just type something off and we're angry with it. And what's happened is uh, uh, because we're typing it so often, we start saying it. It starts coming out in other ways. It starts coming out actually in our language with others. And suddenly, we've got this way of interacting with each other, which means we have a lesser vision of what God has for us. We demean other people. We turn them into enemies. We take issues and turn them into people. And we create enemies, and we fight those enemies, and we battle those enemies. I, I, here, I, I've said this a million times, and I want to say it again. I do not care about Democrat and Republican. If you guys have to know, I vote for both Democrats and Republicans, if you have to know who I vote for, because I'm voting for the person who I think best lives out biblical values. I belong to a kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. I do not belong to the kingdom of America. I'm here. I'm living in it, but I belong to the kingdom of God, and because I belong to the kingdom of God, it means I have to disagree with Democrats and Republicans. I have huge problems with both parties. I will not share those in a sermon, <laughs> right? But I am so irritated with both all the time. And, and so we need to learn, how do we disagree? Let me give you just a, a real simple tool, and then I want to give you another one, and then we'll wrap up. This is a phrase I want you to start learning when you're interacting with other people. The story I'm telling myself is dot, dot, dot. The story I'm telling myself is, this is one of the best things that Sarah and I use in our marriage. Because oftentimes what, what, is, what I believe is happening or what she believes is, hap is happening is not really happening, but we're telling ourselves a story. We've created an enemy, we've created a frustration with somebody, and we start to tell ourselves a story about the other person. And so the story I'm telling myself about you is that you don't like me because I voted for this person, or you are angry with me because this happened, or you whatever. And we start to tell all of these stories in our head, and we're so bad at actually sitting down at the table to have a conversation with people to talk to them about where we are that we lose track of our ability to do that and so we just continue to tell ourselves a story and because we're telling ourselves a story we just separate from that person separate from that person separate from that person until the relationship's over 
When if we really loved the person that we're in conflict with, we would sit down and say, hey, I want to talk to you about this. I'm, I'm struggling with this. The story I'm telling myself about you is this, or the challenge that I have is this, and will you help me to understand that? Uh, we, we've got a tool that we use with our staff and with our board and that we've kind of initiated in the church, and the tool is called Go to the Source. And the, the Go to the Source tool is, is built out of Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 says this, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, if your brother sins against you, go and tell everyone else what your brother did. But don't talk to him. It doesn't say, go to social media and make a veiled post that speaks to it, but doesn't really speak to it, but they know you're speaking to it, but not everybody else knows you're speaking to it. It doesn't say, be condescending or passive aggressive when you're around that person. It doesn't say when your brother sins against you, avoid that person and run from them and never speak to them again. It says when your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him, what? Alone. Alone. Now listen, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. There are sins that are dangerous. And there are these rare occasions, and I do believe that they're rare, where you should not go to your brother because there's danger going to your brother. If there's a situation of abuse, if there's a situation of violence, if there's a situation of sexual assault or any of those kinds of things, those are not moments where you go to your brother. That is moments where you go to others to help you. Understood? But in most cases, we go to the person who sinned against you. If he listens to you, you've gained a brother. But if he does not listen, then take one or two along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So listen, if you meet with this person and it's not resolved, me and Dante have beef. We're, we're frustrated with each other. We meet together. We can't figure it out. We got to get help. We got to invite Jose because Jose is the holiest of all of us. We got to invite Jose to come in and we got to invite Jose to help us sort it out, to help us hear each other. It's like marriage counseling, right? Sometimes you're just speaking past each other and you can't hear. And so scripture says, if that's going on, then you invite another person in. But it always starts by going to the source. It says, if he refuses to listen to them, then you tell the church. Do you know how many times I get told of conflict in the church? If I'm the representative of the church, every week, every week somebody tells me some problem that they have with somebody else. Every week in the 27 years I've served as a pastor of a church, somebody comes to me and says something about somebody else, and you know what I've said for 27 years? Have you spoken to that person? And you know what the percentage of people who say yes is? It is very low. It's easier for us to gossip. It's easier for us to tell a story to ourselves. It's easier for us to not go to the source and confront what's actually happening. So I want to show you this tool. This has been really helpful for our staff and for our team. This is really helpful if you run a business, for your business, for your team, all of those things. Uh, So here at the top, we've got two people. And there is an issue between those two people. There is a battle. Down at the bottom is their friends, their friend group, the people around them, their church, we'll say. And so what often happens is rather than person one going to person two and going to the source and confronting the issue and saying, 
hey, I want us to be restored. I feel like there's tension in our relationship. I feel like there's conflict. Or I feel like you wronged me in some way, and I want to talk about it, and I want to deal with it. What we do is we go down, and we begin, and we involve somebody else. What psychologists call this is a drama triangle. We invite somebody else into our drama. And all of a sudden, what we've done is we've taken drama that exists here, and we've increased it by one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eightfold. And all of a sudden, people start taking their sides, right? People are like, oh, I'm on Ben's side on this one. And then other people are like, I'm on Dante's side on this one, right? And every, you just start gathering your people around you, and everybody starts, and all of these people begin to get involved, which means two things. One is we have to be the right type of people that go to the source. But two, we have to be the type of people that when someone else comes to us and they're not going to the source, we have a choice. We can either become a firewall or a conduit. We can either become a firewall that says in that moment, I'm sorry, I, I, I really, and, and, and here's what we do. We want to help so badly that sometimes it comes from a good place. Like somebody comes to us and they're hurting and we're like, oh, let me pray for you. Let me, let me talk with you. Let me comfort you. Let me be with you. Let me be close, all those things. But what we're actually doing is not helping the person. We're hurting them because we're not sending them to do the thing that Jesus has asked them to do. And so what we need to do in those moments is just be a firewall. I'm really sorry this is happening in your life right now. That sounds really hard, but I need you to go and talk to the person who's wronged you. And there's all of these people in the world who are like, I'm not good at that. I, I, I don't like conflict. I can't do that. I can't go to the person who's wronged me. I can't go to the person who's hurt me. Well, Jesus says you can. And he invites you to in Matthew chapter 18. And so I want to be a firewall here to say I am, the gossip is not going to go through me. The hurt feelings, the relationship, the brokenness, the, uh, the, the division, the drama, it's not going to go through me. I need you to go back to that person. And once you talk to that person, let's talk. Once you've had a conversation with that person, let's have a conversation. So what either happens is we become a firewall and we send people back to the person that they're actually in conflict with and we help resolve issues, or we become a conduit and all of a sudden drama and gossip are flowing everywhere. Like guys, do you know how many times I hear about gossip in our church that is just completely untrue? Stuff that's just foolish, like crazy stuff. People will come and say, I heard this is happening in the church, and I don't know what's going on in this place. I don't know, well, where did you hear that? Well, I heard it from this person. Well, where did they hear that? They heard it from this person. Where did they hear it from this person? Where did they hear it from some dude that lives across the street that's never been in our church before ever? And all of a sudden, we've got some big issue, and we've got all these people choosing sides and fighting against one each other, all this animosity and gossip and drama rather than just stopping it and saying, that's done. There's a clear command in scripture. If you have a problem with somebody, if they've sinned against you, go and talk to them. Go and spend time with them. Look them in the eye. Have the conversation with them. That's what we do with conflict. And here's the last thing that the Bible says. This is a really fun one. Love your enemies. Even those you disagree with. Even those who voted differently than you. Even those who drive you crazy. Even those who bother you love your enemies. Miroslav Wolf said, if you take love your enemy out of Christianity, you've unchristianed the entire faith. And my concern is that's what we've done over the past few years. We've doubled down on enemy hatred. 
we've doubled down on animosity and frustration. We've doubled down on characterizing and placing people in boxes or telling stories about them rather than actually dealing with conflict. And listen, guys, I, w- I want to be here for a long time. But I can't do it if it keeps happening the way it does. We just, we have to live this out a different way than the world around us. We have to live it out in a different way. It's taken too much of a toll on me. And I'm setting a boundary. As your pastor, I am setting a boundary to say from now on, I am a firewall. I am a firewall. And there's no conduit, and I'm not going to fix it for you, and I'm handing your conflict back to you. I am not carrying your conflict for you. I'm giving it back to you and saying that belongs to you. It's yours to carry. I will help you. I will support you. I will counsel you. I will pray for you. I will guide you. But I will not be the one that absorbs all the conflict in this organization because it's taken too much of a toll on me. And I believe that we can live a better way. I believe that we can model a different way. I believe that people can look at Grace Marietta and say, man, look at how those people love each other. Look at how they care for one another. Look how differently from the world they're operating when conflict exists. Because here's the reality. Many people, the moment they experience conflict in a church, the first thing that they do is not go to the source, is go to the church down the street. And I want you to know, if you came from the church down the street to here, I want you to know this. You will experience conflict here. There will be things that I say that you don't like. There will be things that we do that you don't like. There will be events that we do that don't align with your calendar. There will be things that happen in this church that don't align perfectly with what you want and what your life. We will sing a song, I promise you, and you won't like that song. (laughs) It's going to happen. The coffee might be cold on a Sunday. There's lots of things that might happen. What makes the church the church is not that we agree on everything and we all are, have no differences or no differences in opinions. It's that we decide in the midst of our differences to live together, to stand together, to love each other, to serve each other, and to care for one another. The church exists because a group of people say, I want to stand with these people with this vision. And so my invitation to all of you is this is a vision. Awaken each other to live kingdom dreams in a world that's fast asleep. And I want to invite you in. And I think it's beautiful. And I think it's redemptive. And I think it's good. And we're seeing beautiful fruit from it. And we'd love to invite you to be a part of it. And if that's not for you, there's another church down the street that has a different vision that might align better with what you want to do. And that would be great. There's lots of different churches with lots of different visions. So I'm going to invite the band to come. And we're going to go into communion. I I spoke a little long today, and I apologize about that, but I just feel like this, I want to set the tone for this series. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about our core values. We're going to be talking about how we live this out, what the values are that we walk through as we're in the midst of this. And I just want to encourage all of you to start thinking through, all right, as we talk about what our vision is for our church and for my church life, and for my spiritual life, and for my faith community, ask God the question, God, what vision do you have for my personal life? What vision do you have for my work life? What vision do you have for my marriage? What vision do you have for my children? 
And let's all seek that together. Go back to that um, Eugene Peterson passage there. It's when we hear from him, everything starts to make sense. And when we don't, everything becomes a mess. I can't even find it in my notes anymore. There it is. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves like I just was in my notes. But when they attend to what he reveals, they're most blessed. So Heavenly Father, I pray that we would attend to what you reveal. And I pray right now that you would do the work that I can't do as your leader and as, your past, as the pastor. And I pray that you would stir hearts, that you would convict minds, that you would lead people to places of understanding, and that you would awaken kingdom dreams. Lord, I pray right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that in this year we see new dreams that are awakened. We see new visions that are lived into. I pray that there are marriages that are restored. I pray that there are relationships that were once broken that are reestablished because we've created a table in the presence of our enemies and we sit at that table. And I pray that there's breakthrough. I pray that there's healing. I pray that our children, this huge group of kids downstairs, I pray that we have a vision for how we disciple them and lead them to you. And I pray that right now you're raising up the next generation of leaders to lead this church. And we thank you for what you're doing in us and we thank you that we get to do it together. So I pray that you would bless our relationships. I pray that your Holy Spirit would breathe peace over our hearts, that you would breathe trust and goodness and honor and grace and mercy and kindness and all the fruits of the Spirit over our congregations so that our life together is marked by your will and your desire for our relationships. We thank you, Jesus.